Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be together for Monday Thursday. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the king of creation and source of all life. Lord, there's so much to worry about in our lives and world today. Our hearts are restless and anxious until we find our rest in you. So center our hearts on you tonight, on who you are and what you have done for us through Jesus. We ask it in his name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you ever feel like there's something wrong with the world? Not just when you watch the news or scan the headlines or flip through your Facebook feed, <laughs> but like all the time. Even when things are going well, you have a nagging sense that something's missing. You're longing for something you can't explain, or you're worried that everything's going to suddenly go sideways. I wonder if Jesus' disciples felt that way 2,000 years ago. On Palm Sunday, the people welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as a king. Then he entered the temple courts and immediately started turning over the tables of the money changers and chasing out the people who were selling animals for sacrifice. The religious leaders were furious that they were afraid of the crowds. Pilate and the Roman soldiers were no doubt watching everyone closely. Jesus had come with his disciples to Jerusalem for the Passover, one of three major festivals that Jewish people were required to attend each year. In the Jewish calendar, Passover actually begins tomorrow and lasts for seven days. Back then, Jerusalem had a population of maybe 20 or 30,000, about the size of Ames without the university. But on Passover, over 150,000 people would crowd into the city for a whole week. That's crazier than Ames on an Iowa State home football game day. <laughs> the Jews came together, and still do today, not to cheer on their team, but to celebrate what Yahweh had done for their people thousands of years before. God defeated the oppressive empire that had kept them in slavery for 400 years. God sent plagues and signs and wonders against Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. You see, Pharaoh and his regime had not only kept the Israelites in slavery, but even ordered that every Hebrew baby boy be thrown into the Nile River. So God turned the Nile the source of their flourishing and the focus of the Egyptian faith into blood. When that didn't soften Pharaoh's heart, God sent frogs and gnats and flies, a plague that killed their livestock, boils that covered them from head to feet, hail and fire, locusts and darkness. The final plague was the death of the firstborn of every family in Egypt. 
But God provided a way out for the Israelites and anyone else who turned to him. He spared them from death through the blood of a lamb that they put on their doorposts. Death passed over them. God rescued them from slavery, brought them through the sea, and drowned the pursuing army behind them. All those plagues basically accelerated the self-destruction of Pharaoh's brutal regime. Oppressive, self-serving empires always fall. Now think about it. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. They're all in the ash heap of history. Only one kingdom will endure. The kingdom of God. Over the last two months, Russia's invasion of Ukraine hasn't gone the way Putin wanted. They couldn't take the capital, so now they're withdrawing and concentrating their force in eastern Ukraine. I read an article that said that Putin will likely keep fighting until he works through the five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So far, he isn't accepting the death of his dream of a new Russian empire. Some of the Ukrainians near the capital have been able to return to what's left of their homes. Many of their neighborhoods and workplaces are heavily damaged or destroyed. So much horrible violence and looting and destruction that happened. They're just starting to pick up the pieces of their shattered lives. I imagine they're feeling like the Jews who returned home after their exile in Babylon. Jerusalem had been left in ruins, the city walls broken down, the temple destroyed. Rebuilding went slowly with lots of difficulties. The new temple that they built was not nearly as grand as the original temple built by Solomon. Some of the people who remembered the first one wept when they saw how small the footprint of the new one was. Their home would never be the way they remembered it. Even though they were back home, they still felt like they were in exile. The whole Bible is a story of longing for home, a story of exile. It's told alongside the story of our sinful desire to exalt ourselves and build our own kingdoms. Just think about it. The Garden of Eden, God places humanity in a beautiful garden where everything is flourishing. And God walks with them in the cool of the day. And all they have to do is trust him above everything else. But they're tempted to put their trust in themselves instead. They disobey. And out of their disobedience comes exile. They have to leave the garden and go to the east. Then their son, Cain, lets his own jealousy and rage boil over and he kills his brother. And because of that, he goes 
further east, cast out of the land. Well, off in the east, generations later, a a city is built called Babel, or as we know it later, Babylon. The people there wanted to make a name for themselves by building a towering city that would stretch up to heaven. But God frustrated their plans. He's confused their language and scattered them. Many years later, God called Abraham and Sarah to leave the area of Babylon and go to a land that he would show them. He promised that he would make of them a great nation, that they would have many descendants, that he would give them a land of their own, and that he would use them to be a blessing to the nations. At first, it started out all right. But then Abraham and Sarah wandered, and Abraham lied about his wife to try and keep himself safe. They took advantage of Sarah's slave girl, Hagar. And then they cast her out into the desert with her son Ishmael when Isaac came along. They left him out there to die, but God provided for them and told them that he would make a nation out of Ishmael as well. (laughs) If you think about it, All of the Arab nations draw their family tree back to Ishmael. So the conflict between Israel and the Arab nations is a long-standing family feud. Well, even after God rescued Abraham and Sarah's descendants from Egypt, brought them through the waters of the sea, and through the wilderness and gave them their own land, their promised land. Still things didn't go well. (laughs) King David wanted someone else's wife, so he had him killed to cover it up. King Solomon built the temple, but he did it with slave labor. And, you know, over the years... He made alliances with all sorts of different countries and married hundreds of foreign women to seal the deals. And they lured his heart away from God so that he even built altars and shrines to their gods. Solomon's son caused a civil war that tore the country into two. And things just kind of went downhill from there. Pride, greed, taking advantage of the poor, putting their trust in the strength of their armies and their alliances, worshiping other gods. They sought their own good at the expense of others. Ultimately, it led to their downfall and exile. Prideful rise and painful fall is the pattern of the whole human race. We don't have to look far back in our own country's history to see oppression, slavery, injustice, and even genocide. 
Whenever people and nations try to raise themselves up on the backs of others, they build on shaky foundations that ultimately crumble. Even living at home in a time of peace in our part of the world, we feel that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We experience accidents, sickness, and pain. We have strained and broken relationships, aging parents, or deep-seated anxiety. We mourn the loss of loved ones, or the loss of a job, or the death of a dream. Our lives are shot through with difficulty and grief. We're living in exile, even at home. We're longing for a true home we haven't yet experienced. The German language has a word for that sense of longing. It's called Sehnsucht, uh, the sense of deep, inconsolable longing, yearning, the feeling of intensely missing something when you don't even know what it is. We get glimpses of what we're longing for, sometimes in music, or a movie, or nature, or a child's laughter. C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, described those glimpses of our longing as the smell of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. In our reading from Hebrews 11 uh, tonight, we heard about our ancestors who lived by faith. And the writer says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. At the end of Revelation, we see the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It fills the earth with the glory of God and makes this place our true home. Jesus gave his disciples a foretaste of home, that Passover night in the upper room. As they remembered how God had delivered their ancestors from death from, by the blood of a lamb on their doorposts, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In Jeremiah, the Lord, the Lord says, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That night in the upper room, Jesus gave that new command. Love one another as I have loved you. It was a pretty tall order. And they still didn't get it. (laughs) They're slow learners, just like all the rest of us. Sitting there at the table, they argued about who among them was the greatest. So Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. Jesus offers us forgiveness, reconciliation, and new life. Through his suffering and death, we are restored to God's presence. He opened a new and living way for us to draw near to God. So the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus promised us that we will reign with him, eating and drinking at his table in his kingdom. Only the kingdom of God will last. We will rule the world together with God in his image, like it was in the beginning, but better. We will be restored, tending the renewed creation, this place transformed into our true home. Isaiah 25 says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So tonight, come and receive a foretaste of the feast to come. Jesus offers his own body and blood, given and shed for the forgiveness of sins. He welcomes you to the table.